Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Where did he go wrong? Where did he go wrong? Simon Peter, just last week, he was the one who was blessed, who made that bold confession of Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter was the hero. He was the rock. And today, the rock has become the stumbling block. The hero has turned into the goat. And worse, he's been accused of being in league with Satan himself. Where did he go wrong? How did things go so sideways so fast? Well, I think the key to understanding where he went wrong comes in this distinction that Jesus makes in his rebuke of Peter. When he calls out Peter, he says to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus is contrasting two different mindsets, a mindset on the things of man and a mindset on the things of God. And our guy Martin Luther, he distinguished it this way. He called it a theology of glory, by which he didn't mean like God's glory, but like human glory. He contrasted that mindset, the theology of glory, with what he called the theology of the cross, the mindset on the things of God. The key to understanding where Peter goes wrong and how he goes wrong so quickly is in understanding this distinction between these two mindsets, these two theologies, if you will. So what I want to do this morning is to explore that distinction, to see the fundamental ways in which a mindset on the things of man differs from a mindset on the things of God. And here's why that's important. We heard in, Re in the reading from Romans chapter 12, Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. As those who follow Jesus, our minds are being transformed and being renewed. And that transformation, that renewal, has in large part this movement from a mindset on the things of man to a mindset on the things of God, where we're ultimately going. And so I want to step back and do this contrast, to think about this distinction between the two as we continue this transformation under the power of the Spirit and the grace of God. So let's think about it. To start with, you've got the mindset on the things of man, as Jesus puts it, or in Luther's terms, a theology of glory. And what's a theology of glory? Well, if I can define it as simply and succinctly, I'd put it this way. That mindset on the things of man, a theology of glory, sees God through the lens of success sees God through the lens of success. It can be personal success. You're, you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. Professional success. You just keep climbing higher and higher. Even spiritual success. Look at how sanctified I am. Look at how holy I am. Look at how I am getting closer and closer to God. A theology of glory sees God principally through this lens of success. And who wouldn't want that, right? Of course, we would all celebrate successes, and we do, and rightly so. There's nothing wrong with success in itself, but there's a weakness to it. In particular, if this is your primary principle mindset. See, the weakness is that it's so easy 
to be allured by success and to start to think that when you see it, truly, this must be God. But remember, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, listen, the evil one, Satan himself, masquerades as an angel of light. The devil doesn't come as he's so often depicted with the, the scary horns and the red and he's, you know, he's got the, the thing, what do you call it, the pitchfork, right? Like anybody sees that, you know, oh, clearly that's wrong. Clearly that's not the things of, of God. But these things of man, these diabolical devices, they so often come precisely dressed up in beautiful, lovely garb that how could any of us ever resist it or renounce it? The great poet and theologian Martin Franzman, he put it this way. He says, it behooves the church to examine its nice ideas and its nice sentiments, its catch-in-the-throat utterances. Oh, it's so sweet. Carefully, he says, these savory fancies of ours can be diabolical devices. So it is for Peter in today's gospel reading that Peter precisely falls into this trap. He has this idea of Jesus as the Christ, which is right, the Son of the living God. But then you have to ask, okay, so what is this Christ concept that you have? See, Peter has an idea that for Jesus to be the Christ, for God to be in charge, means winning. It means success. There's no room for losing in that schema. This idea that, as Jesus says, that the Son of Man is going to suffer and he's going to die, you can just see the smoke coming out of Peter's head as he's hearing this. Like, it does not compute, right? This doesn't make sense. That's not my understanding of what the Christ, of what the Messiah is like. No, the Christ, he's the one who, who comes. And when he comes, we defeat all of our enemies. We start striding from victory unto victory. When the Christ comes, it looks like success and prosperity for the people of God. We can all get on board with that. Clearly, that's what it must be. That's the way Peter's thinking, and this is the way that a mindset on the things of man thinks. Listen, it makes sense. You never hear the quarterback who loses in the Super Bowl praise God, do you? <laughs> no, of course not. It's the winner who says, thank you, God, for giving me the victory, for trouncing and smiting my enemies on the other side of the, of the field, right? The losers, manifestly, they're not on the side of Lord Most High. And yet this is a mindset on the things of man. This is what Jesus calls a hindrance. It's a hindrance to him. It's a hindrance to you and me. And the, the Greek word behind that word hindrance there is, uh, means a stumbling block. It's a scandalon. And elsewhere in the Gospels, what it means is that that scandalon, that stumbling block, is what causes someone to fall out of step with God causes someone to, to lose faith, or in the case of our Lord Jesus, causes him to drift from the Father's mission for him. If Jesus were to listen to Peter when he says, no, that'll never happen to you, you know who else tried to lead Jesus away with that temptation? Of course, it was none other than Satan himself, who said, listen, Jesus, there's another way for us to do this took him up on top of the high mountain and said, listen, there's all the kingdoms of the world. I am prepared to give it to you. It was a scandal on then. It was a stumbling block then. It's a stumbling block now. And that's why Peter, why Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I recognize that slithery voice so dead set on success. 
But for you and me, if we fall into that trap, if we have that mindset on the things of man, it becomes a stumbling block for us too. For the simple fact that we don't always live under the banner of success. And in this life, it's not all kittens and daisies. My teacher, Robert Kolb, a great scholar of Luther, he used to say that, you know, on the sunny days, when it's all green lights and everything's going well, I could be a theologian of glory. He went on to say, it's because of the cloudy days, because of all the stoplights that we get, that I need to be a theologian of the cross. And so let's think about this distinction, about this other side of it. That on the one hand, there's that theology of glory, the mindset on the things of man, which sees God principally through the lens of success. But how about that mindset on the things of God rather than the things of man? The mindset on the things of, of God, a theology of the cross, sees God through the lens of struggle and sorrow and suffering. Principally, of course, through the suffering of our Lord Jesus for us. And then derivatively and in a secondary sense, our own suffering in this life and in this world. We need this lens. We need this mindset on the things of God if we're even going to make sense of what Jesus has to say here. Because Jesus goes on to unfurl the paradoxical wisdom of the kingdom. He says, you want to follow me? Here's what it looks like. Take up your, uh, let's see, your ritual device of torture and public shame. Because that's what a cross was. Take that up and deny yourself and come follow me. Really? If you lose your life, you're going to find it. You sure about this, Jesus? How could he say that? Why would that be? Because it's precisely when we follow in the footsteps of our Lord, it's when we are living under the cross, it's there that you meet him. It's there that God especially chooses to reveal himself. It says in the book of Isaiah, God says, I am a God who dwells in the heights, but also with the brokenhearted and the lowly and the contrite of heart. That's where he meets you and me. Not only in those successes, and praise God for them when you have them, but also, and even more so, when everything's upside down. That's how God's kingdom is, upside down. And that's where we can see him most at work. As I've thought about it in my life and in my teaching as a pastor and tried to picture what this theology of the cross, this mindset on the, the things of God looks like, a painting that I've turned to again and again is what's on the front of your worship folder, if you want to look at that. This painting is by Salvador Dali, who's known for being, well, for being weird. I'm just going to put it that way. He's got a lot of weird paintings, and be careful if you go searching for him on Google. But this particular painting is always arresting and grabs my attention. It's entitled Christ of St. John of the Cross. Christ of St. John of the Cross. And what stands out to me about this painting is the perspective. See, you notice how we are looking from above, in a sense, looking down at the world through that, that lens of the cross. 
And I don't know if this is exactly what Dolly intended, but the way that I see it is that this is what the theology of the cross is all about. It's that we are looking at the world, interpreting our everyday life with cross-shaped lenses, see. We're seeing in the midst of those struggles and sorrows of life, God at work. That that's where he wants to meet me principally. He wants to meet me in those places where, I, where I'm having such a hard time, where I feel like he is distant. As we often say, Christ sets up his office at the end of your rope. <laughs> that's where he meets you and me. And so that, that painting, that picture shows me that this is, this is what it's like. We're seeing the world, we're seeing our lives through the lens of the cross. But there's another side of that, too, that accents and augments that. You know, Dolly entitled that painting, The Christ of St. John of the Cross. And perhaps some of you are familiar with this guy, St. John of the Cross. He was a medieval mystic. And what he's most famous for is a, a little book that he wrote in a phrase, The Dark Night of the Soul. You ever heard that phrase? The Dark Night of the Soul. And you notice at the top of the painting, it's unmistakable, the darkness out of which our Lord Jesus comes. Because he meets you and me precisely in that dark night of the soul. And then leads us in to the light of his love, the light of life. That mindset on the things of man, that theology of glory is so alluring and it is so deceptive, filled with diabolical devices. But that mindset on the things of God, the theology of the cross, it seems so offensive. It seems so contrary to the way we would want God to work. But it's precisely there that God meets us. Now I want to close with thinking about how then do we make that move? What does that transition look like? That, that transformation from the, the things of man, that mindset on the things of man to the mindset on the things of God. How does that happen? Well, let me say, first of all, you have that mind already. You have the mind of Christ, Scripture says. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have been and are being renewed by His grace and through the power of the Spirit. That's yours, right? For those who trust in Christ and filled with the Spirit, this transformation is ongoing. But I also want to say that if we are going to live in this modern age, this modern world, which is filled with all kinds of comforts and conveniences and ways to lead us. The theology of glory is a tailor-made for this modern age. Am I right? That being the case, if we're going to be deliberate about following our Lord Jesus, I want to say that, that we need to become like a savage. Now, I'm using that word in a particular way. I'm inspired by the novel Brave New World, by Aldous Huxley. You remember this one? You had to read it in high school. Super strange. Yeah, still is. I reread it this year. I can assure you, it's still rated R. Don't give it to the kids, okay? Uh, but it tells the story of this kind of dystopia, this time in the not-too-distant future when the state, when the world keeps everything under control. But unlike 1984, where it's this kind of tyrannical big brother, you know, stomping the face, Instead, in Brave New World, the way that control is kept is precisely through pleasure. By giving everybody what they want all the time, it's embodied with this little pill called Soma, which always makes you feel so happy. Everything is bright and beautiful all the time. But the main character in the book is a guy named John, but he simply goes by the savage. And the savage, he wants 
all the messy brokenness of reality. He doesn't want to live in that dream world, that false world. And at the climax of the book, he comes face to face with the world controller, a guy named Mustafa Mond, who's not evil. He's just a theologian of glory. He wants to root out all of the suffering in the world, but in doing so, he takes out all that's, that's worthwhile about life. Well, in this climactic moment, Mustafa Mond is face to face with the savage. And he says to him, he's talking to him about how great life has become and all the comforts that they have. The controller says, we prefer to do things comfortably. And the savage responds this way. I don't want comfort. I want God. I want poetry. I want real danger. I want freedom. I want goodness. In fact, said Mustafa Mond, you're claiming the right to be unhappy. All right, then, said the savage defiantly. I'm claiming the right to be unhappy. Now, it sounds like a real downer for me to say that you and I all need to be a lot less happy in our lives. Thanks, Pastor. Appreciate the pick-me-up. But I do want to say that if you and I are going to be faithful in this modern age, if we are going to follow after our Lord Jesus, who calls us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves and to follow him, a lot more often we need to claim this right to be unhappy. We need to be willing to renounce those easygoing comforts and conveniences that can be so alluring and also at the same time leading us away from the mindset on the things of God. We need to be willing to follow our Lord Jesus into the hard places. The great Flannery O'Connor, she said, push back against the age as hard as it pushes against you. Because people think that faith is a big electric blanket, she said, when it is, of course, a cross. Jesus doesn't give us electric blankets. He gives us electric chairs. He gives us a cross to follow him. But in following him, when we lose our lives, we find that we gain them. When we renounce all the things that the world says are good and great, we find what is holy and enduring. When we lay down our lives, we find our Lord Jesus picking up our lives. And when you are at the end of your rope and in that place of deep darkness where you think there's no hope, there our Lord Jesus turns on the light and says, this is right where I am ever and always. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.